Good morning. Welcome to our continued Bible classes in the New Testament book of Colossians. We are in the final two classes in this study. So that means this morning we will start at verse 2 of chapter 4 and go through verse 6. Wednesday night from verse 7 to the end of chapter 4 with a brief review. And then beginning next Sunday, we're going to engage in a course of study we call Selected Psalms. Selected passages from the book of Psalms. So one week from today, April 22nd, we will be in Psalm chapter 1. Today, Colossians 4 verses 2 through 6 after prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this first day of the week to worship Thee, honor Jesus Christ, and engage in this time of study. Help us take every word seriously and apply what we learn in our individual lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Instructions from God delivered by Paul to Christians in Colossae and for us to use today in our relationship with God, in our relationship with people, in our reaction to events. There's so much to say about these verses this morning. My takeaways will be embedded within the class time. Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. <clears throat> Let your speech always be gracious Season with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. As this paragraph begins, there's not anything that is unexpected. In fact, we are not surprised at all when an apostle of Christ writes to Christians and he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Every Bible reader and Bible student, reader of the New Testament, would expect this. An apostle of Christ is writing to Christians, and he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Remember how Paul identified these people. Back in chapter 2, verse 12, these were people who had been <clears throat> buried with Christ in baptism. <clears throat> Sorry. According to chapter 3, verse 1, from their obedience in baptism, they were raised with Christ. So Paul is addressing Christians, and we find it natural for him to say, continue steadfastly in prayer. But notice, this was not to be an occasional practice, but something they did steadfastly, something they continued in. See, in both words, continue and steadfastly. In both of those words, the ideas emerge of constancy, consistency in this practice that they were to be engaged in 
over and over again, all of their lives, really. If prayer is occasional, if prayer is only something we listen to in an assembly, if prayer is ritualistic, where we repeat the same phrases over and over again without thought and without watchfulness and examination, then we need to re-examine our relationship with God and our sense of reverence for Him and our love for Christ. We should be a people who continue steadfastly in prayer, who pray on a consistent basis all through life. And to that we add the phrase, being watchful in it. And some translations will have the word vigilant. The word vigilant simply means watchful. Vigilance is about awareness. It's about being on the alert. So this is about not just a routine of words that you repeat. This is about the keen sense of awareness and alertness that you have about prayer. And all of those things that compose prayer and surround prayer and are associated with it. Our attitude in prayer. What we pray about, the frequency of prayer, the fervency of prayer. Watch all these things that are involved in the practice of speaking to God through Christ. Be alert to everything that ought to be a part of this. Specific needs, confession of sin, pledges to God to do better and grow, gratitude. And gratitude is next. It says, <clears throat> with thanksgiving, never leave out thanksgiving. If I get careless, my prayers can become occupied with an abundance of asking and a minimum of thanking. I can get all caught up in what I want <clears throat> and I can give God a list of what I want and then maybe at the end of it just tack on a little phrase, I'm thankful. Maybe we ought to list those things we are thankful for and spend more time in prayer with thanksgiving. You can become almost obsessed with things you want. What about what God has already given you? What about you already have from God? What about those things you expect God to impart to you as you continue to walk in the faith? So, there's nothing unexpected here in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I hope each one of us take that to heart and that we are watchful about our involvement in prayer. A good parallel passage to go with this <clears throat> is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Your comments are welcome here. Verse 3. Verse 3 makes this personal for Paul and his associates. It says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. 
Paul wanted them to pray for him and his co-workers regarding the preaching of the gospel. Open doors for evangelism. There may be some perception that the apostles of Christ had such privilege and such status, and in their character they were so elevated that they somehow stood above the need of this kind of attention. That would obviously be incorrect. The apostles were men of like passions with us. Let's be very clear about this. While they were designated communicators of the Lord's will, inspired and gifted for those tasks, they had no special spiritual elevation. They were tempted. They were capable of weakness and fatigue. They faced the challenges that we face in the ordinary process of life under the sun, doing what is right in an unfriendly environment. They needed to pray, the apostles and the evangelists who worked with them. And they needed the prayers of the saints, and they didn't hesitate to say to Christians, pray for us. I'm going to say to you, if those preachers needed the prayers of Christians, gospel preachers today certainly do. I depend a lot on the prayers of my brethren. Not just in regard to my pulpit and class work, but in everything I do, in my attitude, in my growth as a Christian, my health and Paula's health, and we just have an interest in your prayers. One of the best ways, perhaps the best way, to support a preacher is to pray for preachers. I love to hear brethren pray for preachers of the gospel around the world, knowing that God is listening and responding. So that brings us to the next part of this about opportunity. That God may open to us a door. Just that phrase recommends to us the idea of opportunity. Uh, I want to say a little bit about opportunity in evangelism, which concerns what this is about. I'm afraid our typical thinking is that opportunity is sort of a function of chance and odds, coincidence. We sometimes may think if, if the message and the receiver come together, we marvel at how that all came together. It just sort of happened. I think that's a limited view of opportunity. And if we are not careful, we can minimize one of the strongest factors in opportunity, and that's prayer. The providence of God. Paul wanted to have open doors through which the gospel would be delivered. He didn't say something like, well, maybe it will happen. We'll just go out there and see what kind of coincidences fall into our lap. He didn't speak in terms of time and chance and fate absent God. He said to Christians, ask God to open the doors. And that's the attitude we need to have when we pray about reaching people. When we think about and talk about evangelism and opportunities, we often include factors that are real, the faithfulness of the messenger, the heart of the listener, but let's also account for the providence of God and pray for God to open doors of opportunity. If you want to say anything about that, please speak up.
David. We will continue to pray for you and ask you to pray for us as well. One other thing should be brought up here. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. That's in that verse. And the ESV says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul wanted them to pray to God that he would speak effectively. In addition to content, Paul wanted God's help in delivery. How? one speaks is important. It is one thing to give the facts as they are written in Scripture. I believe the Holy Spirit was involved directly when Paul spoke and when Paul wrote. But there's something else that's important and that's how one speaks. This is about clarity in communication it is about appropriate passion and everything else involved in the process of communication. Sending and receiving, teaching and listening. It should be our disposition to pray about all these matters that attend the preaching and teaching of the gospel. Opportunity, good and honest hearts, the right message and the right attitude in the deliverance of that message. As I ought to speak. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's talk about the first part of this, the uh, walking part of this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Common Bible figurative language. That simply means the writer is talking about something using terminology to help us understand it. And one of the most frequent examples of this kind of figurative language is to speak of how you live as walking. <clears throat> your thoughts, words, and all of your behavior in the New Testament is often described as walking. And... To make that clear, we might say, even if you're confined to a wheelchair, you're walking in this sense. You're behaving a certain way. You are living a certain way. To make that clear, uh, walking and living in this particular context need to be seen as synonymous. This kind of language is used many times. Second John 6, walk according to his commandments. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, walk in a manner worthy of God. Philippians 3.17, walk according to the example you have. 
So we're talking about how you live. Now, how you live should be in wisdom. In sending his son and giving us his word, God has provided us with the means to walk in wisdom. Wise living is within our reach because of what God has given in his son and his word. To the extent that we believe in Christ and follow Christ and become nourished students of the word, we're able to walk in wisdom, and that's our calling. So if you've been buried with Christ in baptism, your calling is to walk in wisdom, and you need to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. The NIV be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. The ESV, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. There will always be outsiders. Did you encounter any non-Christians this last week? You think you'll encounter some this week? There will always be outsiders and there will always be the need for us to act as God expects us to act toward outsiders. There are people we come in contact with daily who are not Christians. They've not obeyed the gospel. This teaches clearly it matters how we act and react with those people. It matters. We cannot adopt a self-righteous manner toward them. I'm a Christian. And you are not. That's childish, of course. We cannot adopt such a manner as that. And we cannot just walk away from people all the time and shun these people altogether. We cannot act like these people do not exist. Paul is telling us that our behavior toward outsiders is important and should be a function of all the wisdom that we live by before God. We should be governed by God in all that we do, and that includes our relationship with those who are not in Christ. This would mean, for example, being honest with people, treating people with kindness, helping people with legitimate needs to the best of our individual ability, encouraging people to do what is right and discouraging them from all wrong. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. And as you do this, as you walk in wisdom toward outsiders, what you're doing is you're making the best use of time. Every moment that you spend with outsiders wisely, with good conduct, good responses, you're making good use of time. Now, the broader concept that opens up here <clears throat> is redeeming the time, making the best use of the time. The word redeem is simple enough in its concept, but we don't often use the word redeem along with time in our vernacular. To redeem means to buy up and use. To buy something and then use it and use it wisely. Have you ever bought anything at Lowe's or Home Depot? And you discovered six months later it's over in the closet. You never did anything with it. Had a good price on it. Looked real neat in the store. But you never did anything with it. 
Sometimes that's what we do with time. We don't use it. We don't use it wisely. We're not walking in wisdom toward outsiders. We should buy and use time wisely. As Christians, we should be so diligent, so urgent, so devoted to the Lord, we use every moment to the best advantage. Whatever we're doing, whoever we're with, whoever... uh, we encounter, we should be so engaged with Christ and so obedient to His will that we're using every moment for His good purposes. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Boy, I can have a whole lot more to say about that. Um, Let me add three points. Can I put another quarter in the parking meter here? Let me add three points. It is important to know we have no guarantee of our remaining time. So anytime I say, well, I'm going to do that someday, I'm talking about something about which I have no guarantee. I have no assurance. It could be all over tomorrow. We ought to be people who are urgent in fulfilling all the commitments to God, making no provision for the flesh. Romans 13, 11 through 14. If we take good things and put them off, the devil can use that time to intrude upon us and get into our minds and bad things occur. Number three, um, we will do well to think of time in daily units. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, what are you going to do with today? Sometimes we get locked into, here's what I'm planning in July... And then in the fall, and in a couple of years, what are you going to do today? Think of time in terms of daily units. Matthew 6, 34. Redeem the time. All right. Let's take up a specific component of wise behavior now. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. One of the great gifts God gave to human beings is speech. And the ability to process thought before the mouth is engaged. God gave us that ability. God gave to human beings the ability to speak, but also to process thought before we open our mouth, so that when we speak, it is wise and gracious and valuable. Animals do not enjoy the same level of thinking and communication skills that we enjoy. Plants do not have the capacity that we have to think through what we're going to say and then say it. I think one thing that makes us human, this gift of speech God has granted to us, it's part of that principle that we were made in the image of God. But with every gift God has given us, there is corresponding responsibility. With every gift God has given us, there's corresponding responsibility. 
You cannot just say anything and everything. God expects us to control what we say. And through His Word, we can read and study and learn to have disciplined thought. But I hasten to add, this discipline is not just about what we say. I tried to stress this earlier. But also how we say things and who we say them to. <clears throat> so, do I have water? I do. Water just, uh, it just appears when needed. Thank you. Let, let's break this down and distinguish between some things. There's content. All right, that's what you say. There is audience. That's who you say it to. <clears throat> and then there is manner. How you say it. The attitude that is conveyed <clears throat> by your countenance. Your tone of voice. The inflections in your voice. If I were to say to you, I'm really glad you're here. But what if I said, all right, I'm really glad you're here. Same words, two different messages, right? The teachings of the New Testament call upon us to attend carefully, not only to content, but to audience and manner. And about audience, God is always in the audience. Always in the audience. Never think that if you've pulled somebody over into the corner, you have taken that communication process away from the ear of God. You have not. Never think that when you type something on your computer and send it out over the internet, that's private. God reads all those. God can read them before you type them. So God expects us to have good control over all this and to be so engaged in speech that He is pleased. Because I tell you this, God is always in the audience every time you open your mouth and even before you open your mouth, every time you type or text. So when you say something you think is private, God is listening. When you say something to one person you would not say to another, uh, that may be fine, but just remember God is listening. God is aware of all of our conduct from the inside out. So in content, in audience... And in manner, we are well advised to speak as people who are governed by God's Word. Now let's go into that a little further. Because Paul does. <clears throat> Talking a moment ago about images, figurative language. Walking is about how you live. Now we have some figurative language here. Grace and salt regarding our speech. Let's factor that into our study. Salt, as the word is used here, is about the seasoning capacity of salt. 
This concerns flavor. What we should do is make certain what we say adds the flavor of good influence to the one we're speaking to. Now, if salt is about flavor, grace is about favor. Our speech should be gracious, not brisk and rude, not selfish and insulting and thoughtless. God expects us to open our mouths with both flavor and favor, even when correction may be necessary. There is a way to do that without just turning people away. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Notice again, not only content and audience, but manner, how you ought to answer. In fact, it runs parallel to what Paul said in verse 4. Paul said, how I ought to speak. And now in verse 6, how you ought to answer each person. The how God places significance on. All right, questions or comments? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Questions or comments? The Word of God can train us if we will take the training to exercise good care in regard to prayer, in regard to opportunities we pray to God for, in regard to our influence and conduct with outsiders making the best use of the time, and our speech always being gracious and seasoned with salt so that we may know how we ought to answer each person. Questions or comments to add to what we've studied? Yes. Right. Yes, over in Ephesians, in the latter part of Ephesians, much of what Paul says in that practical section is parallel to what he's saying in Colossians chapter 4. So you're going to find the same kind of phraseology in the latter part of Ephesians as you do Colossians. And Dennis has pointed out another scope statement that's over in Ephesians, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Important point to make. Darrell. Scripture taught us about having all things in common. That applies to prayer where we pray 
Right. Exactly right. <coughs> and uh, so I'm going to put these up on the screen and let you plug in any statement you'd like to make as we go through. Very simple text about what God expects Christians to be doing. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Prayer is not the old fire extinguisher. You've heard that illustration before. It hangs on the wall. Maybe there's one over there. We don't pay much attention to it day by day. But if something occurs that we need it, then we pull it out. That's not the way the New Testament describes prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful and vigilant. Everything about you and prayer, you need to take into account. And spend some time thinking about how you're going to frame that communication to God. Pray for us. Pray for gospel preachers. Pray for elders. Pray for those who are sitting next to you. Pray for your family. Might be good sometime to sit down and make a list before you pray about who you want to pray for. It might help you frame that prayer rather than just always making the generic statements. We pray for the sick, those who are afflicted. Maybe it'd be good for us to sit down and think through who needs prayer. Opportunity. I think I covered this pretty well a moment ago, but I'll remind us again that opportunity in terms of evangelism is not simply a matter of coincidence. We ask God to provide opportunities, and we need to be of such a mind that we will seize those opportunities. How one speaks. Did I cover that pretty well? How you talk, how you speak to people, very important. And by the way, that's something that is virtually lost in the digital world. If I'm talking to you face to face, you're not only hearing words, you're, you're measuring volume and inflection, and you're looking in my face. And you're looking at my countenance. All that is part of the package of communication. With text and messaging and emails, you don't have all that. So there should be a great sense of caution we have about our use of those new technologies. Because how we're saying something may not come across as we intend. Walking. Boy, doctors tell you all the time, you need to walk. Well, we need to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walking is terminology selected by the Holy Spirit because it conveys activity and destination. Some people just stay at the same place. Can't really be said anything about their Christian walk because they're just right there at the same place. See, Now, what just happened? When I said that, you were looking at me and you were getting a sense of what I was talking about, weren't you? See, that was part of the communication process. That's part of how I said that. Wisdom toward outsiders. You have neighbors and co-workers and maybe family friends that are just not Christians. And how are we ever going to reach them if we don't treat them right? We need to treat them right. 
redeem the time. Then it says in Ephesians, because the days are evil and gracious speech. Let me add one more thing. I've got one more minute to add it. In modern vernacular, this probably comes from sailors. There's an expression we have in English called salty language. That's not what this is about. This is about influence. It's not about salty language in the sense of the typical sailor in the imagery that has come to pass in our culture. So, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Wednesday night, come back and we'll go from 7 to 18, and next Sunday we'll start in Psalms chapter 1. Thank you.